2: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stephon Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. Today, we are so excited to be joined by a very special guest, Arden Marine. Yay. Hi,
3: Arden. Hi, gals. How are you? I'm so
2: excited to be on your podcast. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Uh, we were just discussing your pretty awesome recordings really professional <laughs> setup which again puts ours to shame i'm, I'm
1: literally in a dining room like
3: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i love design i'm like a, i i bought my first house like a little tiny house 2 years ago and i I contracted it myself because I could, LA is so expensive that I, right. so I designed, I love design. I would have designed it anyway, but I designed and contracted the house. And there's like a little standalone garage that I turned into a, Podcast studio, and so I rather than put like egg crates up, I figured out a way to have the walls upholstered for soundproofing. So there's cotton batting, and then I found this really great fabric on like a discount fabric site that makes it look all bougie. <laughs>
2: it's so fun. And,
3: I mean, it definitely the floors flood sometimes if it rains a lot. So you know, it has its quirks, but on a on a dry day, it's spectacular.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on the dry days. Well, that probably wouldn't work so well in Atlanta, but yeah. I bet it works much better in L.A. <laughs> yes, true story.
3: I've Having yes. spent time in Atlanta, you're absolutely correct about that. Right.
1: And <laughs> speaking of your time in Atlanta, yeah, can you introduce yourself and tell our listeners where they can find you or maybe where they know you from already, probably?
3: You got it. My name's Arda Marine. I'm an actor, I'm a comedian, I'm an author, and I'm a podcast host. People know me from I played Regina St. Clair on Insatiable, which was on Netflix, which I filmed for two seasons in Atlanta and just loved Atlanta and so happy to be sort of virtually pretending I'm in Atlanta right now. <laughs> yes. And then I was on Shameless for a year. I was on Mad TV for four years. I did over 100 episodes of Chelsea lately. I tour as a headlining stand-up. I'm an author of the book... Little Miss Little Compton, available worldwide in all forms, (laughs) that just came out this year. And then I... I'm a podcast host of one podcast and I have another one that's about to come out. It's also on iHeartRadio. It is called Will You Accept This, Rose? And it is a Bachelor recap podcast that I do with other comedians who are super fans. So we don't hate watch it, but we do yeah. make jokes. About, like we, we are no spoilers. We want them <laughs> to find love and we make a lot of jokes about it. And then I'm also about to release a new iHeartRadio podcast called Lady of the Road, where my co-host is Julianne Robinson, who is one of the executive producers of Bridgerton. And then she actually directed the pilot and Mm -hmm. she directed Sexy Six, episode six, which is the honeymoon uh, sex fest. (laughs) And uh, where we talk to women that we admire and our first guest is Joan Jett. Our second guest is Lady Danbury. We talk to Retta. We talk to Jen Kirkman. We're going to talk talk to I mean there's like so many you know it's 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 amber Ruffin Molly Shannon' it's, it's gonna I'm so excited for it to come out
1: you have an all-star cast and I love that and yeah I did see that you're about to do the new podcast and I got very excited because I'm very into Bridgerton oh. um <laughs> I I do I love ridiculous romances with happy endings that is something that I don't have in my own life uh, <laughs> my past work history was all tragic so I was like let me bask in oh. this beauty of just happiness
3: I mean I feel like people would have loved it Anyway, but the world needed Bridge. It was came out Christmas Day. It's so beautiful. (laughs) It was so cool and fun. The casting, like the Duke, just the whole thing. Lady Danbury, I mean, just meeting her, yeah, you know, walking around with her top hat and her cane, just like so elegant. A single rich lady just killing it and having fun. And I, I loved it. I loved it.
1: I'm a little jealous. I did listen to a couple of your episodes with The Bachelor yes, and Bachelorette <laughs> world. And Annie and I have talked before that this, is not, this has not been a part of our world. We don't quite get into it, but we know people are diehard. And just listening, I think it was specifically with like, Miles, who is a part of the iHeart I family, as well as uh, Lacey, yeah. talking about the different loves. And y'all get into it for like a good an hour, like 45 <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes <laughs> of all of that. What made you decide this has to be... A replay podcast. What I, made you think this is a must? This is a must.
3: I mean, first of all, let me also say, shout out to Miles and Lacey. They're going to be on next <laughs> week. Love them. <laughs> uh, I yes. did not watch The Bachelor. I was not into it. I didn't get it. The only reality shows I enjoyed are I like watching people make things, so I enjoyed Project Runway. I, yeah. It's it, like things or Top Chef. Thing I liked watching people give up on themselves when they're tired and having Tim Gunn swoop in and be like, make it work. And then, you know, they're (laughs) ready to like throw in the towel and they're like, I can't do it, Tim Gunn. And then they would like pull it together and then come up with some magical thing and win. So I I like that sort of, you know, I like to make things and I found that inspiring. I had no interest in Caddy, it just wasn't interesting to me. And um, a couple years ago, somebody was like, "You need to watch The Bachelor this season." I was like, "I, I have a life. No, I really don't. <laughs> there's nothing that I even relate to in this." And so, like, no, 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 you need to watch it. Like, there's like for whatever reason, there's what somebody said I need to watch. So I was like, "Fine, I'll watch one episode." And then it turned out it was a very good season. It was Caitlyn's <laughs> season, and I found that. I liked it in a way I didn't, I never grew up playing sports, but I, I found it relaxing in a gaming way of like, who's going to win and really rooting for him. And she was very charming and kind of realizing like, no, I actually felt like people were falling in love and and trying to figure out almost like who's going to the Super Bowl or who's going to the right. finals, you know? And, and I noticed on Twitter that all of my funny friends were tweeting about it. And I think, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to do comedy. And then, thankfully, knock on wood, I've been able to make that my career. So I was like, what are my hobbies now? You know, I just at first just started it as something fun that had nothing to do with my life. That was just something like a silly, silly hobby to do with my friends. Mm -hmm. Treating it like a sporting event. Mm -hmm. And... It's been this weirdest thing where who would have ever thought that this podcast about The Bachelor has now, you know, I get social anxiety. I get nervous around people. And so it's also a fun way that I've made, I don't know if you guys have that or if you've found this with your podcast, but podcasting is a nice, safe way to come in. You have sort of an intimate conversation with people that you wouldn't normally have. And for this, I, you know, I just, I write out the episode, we go through it, but I feel like I've been able to make friends. And then in a weird way, we joke now that we're the only podcast about The Bachelor and grief because like <laughs> during the course of a couple of years ago, so it's been on for like five or six years and two seasons in a row, it just so happened like both of my parents died back to back. Mm-hmm. Like my dad died. And then a year later, my mom suddenly died. And, and they both died on like the weekends during the season and The Bachelor aired on Monday. And I'm like, do I, it's so inappropriate. Do I do the podcast? Right, right. And I allowed myself to cancel anything I didn't want to do. And I found I wanted to do it because it, f- it had been something that was just like silly and fun and it didn't meet, like it was just like completely something outside of my life. Right. And so in my stand-up, I'd never been that personal. I'd never really talked about my family. I'd never really revealed that much of myself, but I couldn't hide the fact that I was in my family living room. Mm -hmm. And I forced my brother to do God bless my brother. But like both times I was like, look, you know, and I didn't know if it was going to make my listeners uncomfortable. And then rather than being off-putting, I think it made them kind of lean in and be like, thank you for you know my my mom had been a part of the podcast and like that everybody has stuff in life mm-hmm. and so and i think people appreciated that that i wasn't fully okay but like i told them what was going on and then i did it and it's it's helped actually it was like my own i i had weirdly built my own grief therapy yeah. <laughs> in a weird way we've had a few other people on the show have similar things where They've lost a parent and they wanted to keep coming because it's just, it's just fun. Mm -hmm. It's just something that's fun and it's an escape for a couple hours. And that's been, you know, and even during the pandemic, we're like, do we still, you know, at first you're like, do we still do this during Black Lives Matter, the height of that? We're like, do we do this, you know? And we just made the decision because a lot of it wasn't even airing. We made the decision. We're like, you know what? If we can be of service and help somebody laugh for a couple of hours, and if our heart is like, if our intention is to try to be of service and have a fun community, and we know it, you know things are complicated right now, but we can provide something that's warm and fun. Let's just throw this spaghetti at the wall and see if people like this. All and right. it turned out people did. So it's just so weird. Who would have ever thought right. that? Yeah, <laughs> Y'all are pretty yeah. successful. I'm kind of surprised. Because, again, I'm not
1: in that world. But I think one yeah. of the things that we had talked about, actually, we just did a couple of episodes about women and romance and and getting caught up in whether it's novels or movies or songs. And what that really is in this whole narrative about shows like this or shows like Bridgerton, how they're being dismissed because they think it's not relevant enough and it's just chick stuff, according, you know, right. according to right. misogynistic uh, mainstream ideas. But the actuality is, it is an escape, and it is a yeah. kind of a way for people to have that moment of pause and a mental health moment of like, I can escape from my worst moments of today. Yes. With these nonsensical things that have nothing to do with my life, but are distracting me. And it's beautiful, which is exactly as you were talking about, Bridgerton being released during a time of pandemic. People needed an escape, needed to forget that they can't go out, needed to forget about all of the things that people weren't doing to help each other out, to being able to escape to listening to or watching Bachelor and Bachelorette. And I, I do know, like, in recently, I don't know if it's recently because I've been paying attention, But according to the show, they are starting to become more empathetic and realizing, like, really caping for those who are good people. Like, I don't know the female, uh, there was a female contestant, the woman who was like, hey, you're being toxic. Stop being mean. And I loved it. It was such a beautiful moment of them really caping for this girl. And even though maybe the the main dude didn't see it and didn't see how great she was, everyone else did. And it was really rooting for her. And I'm like, for a show that oftentimes you do see the caddy, they want to see the drama, to have people talking about her was really beautiful.
3: I really felt like there's a moment of hope. I mean, I will say this bachelor, Matt James, he's so lovely. Like, he's such a truly, I don't, you know, he'd never been through the franchise before. And he seems like just a really nice person. And most of the women that are left, so we're not, we were down to the final four. Now we're down to the final three. Did, but Kate, like, did she make it? Most. Oh, she didn't. Um, Katie,
1: oh, she didn't make sorry. it. sorry. I did not know. I just needed to know that. I oh, no, no, that's
3: okay. No, that's okay. <laughs> but there are some really lovely, like, this gentleman has really, for the most part, most of them, ha- like, one of them is this lovely school teacher. Like, he he seems to really have responded to a lot of the nicer, more, like, there's, it's a, there's a... There were some ladies that were pretty harsh on this season, but then he, he has generally seemed for the most part to gravitate towards these elegant, nice, like kind women. There's one that's, there's some drama around, but the other ones are great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the escapism thing is, it's in, you know, I don't know, do you guys have hobbies?
1: Oh, oh you were asking the wrong people <laughs> this question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, Annie is the hobby queen, and I am the uh, rerun watcher of all things nonsensical. So, yes. Yeah. So you get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We understand.
2: What, Annie,
3: what are your hobbies?
2: Oh, uh well, right now it is reading and writing fanfiction. This is also my cosplay closet. Yeah. So I make costumes in here. Uh and Dungeons and Dragons, I I run a campaign and I like go I I treat it like a job. Yes. I, I build things and I design things. Yes. <laughs>
3: She's a queen. That's, I just started quilting. Yeah. I had not used a sewing machine since I made dresses for my Barbies at like seven. And quilting <laughs> is so fun because it doesn't need a pattern and it can be messy and and then I've also been making pom poms with my friend I'm gonna turn into something. I love that. But yeah, <laughs> just I think the importance of something and and I'm sure it's healing for you to do all your hobbies. Like, I'm sure that that is, like, calming and you get lost in it. Like, I think the importance of that is such good self-care. Yeah, absolutely. And and for
2: me, ever since the pandemic started, I started writing this fan fiction. It is now 450 pages long, so I call it my pandemic baby. Yeah, But it's definitely, like, a stress, stress thing for me is writing. And, like, the more I'm writing, the more I'm like, oh, wow, you're really stressed, but this is helping so much. Yes. So, as you said, you did recently release a memoir. Can you talk about the why you wanted to write it, the process of writing it? Yes. All that?
3: So I wanted to write... I have a very quirky family. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. Like, that I never was very open about. You know, I never. I, I was always fairly. I've all. I've still am fairly private. But like it. So whenever I would do at UCB, they have a show called Ask Cat, and they have a monologist. Like to so the improv theater in New York and LA, their big show is called Ask Cat, and they have somebody come on, and they get a suggestion from the audience, on the spot. Who are, you know, their their guest monologist has to just sort of improvise stories based on the word. It could be literally like a uh, sea monkey or top hat or whatever. And then you have to sort of just tell a story that that word makes you think of. And I found, even though I didn't talk about my family or the town that I grew up in, in my stand-up, when I would go do the monologues at ASCAT, people would be really interested in my upbringing and my town. I grew up in a town called Little Compton, Rhode Island, which is a real town, <laughs> um, that had probably never heard of the real Compton until straight out of Compton, the movie came out. Like not even the album, probably the movie. <laughs> and my parents had, they met in New York City. They were co-workers. They never went on a date with one another. And one New Year's Eve, they got engaged on a dare and they got married six weeks later and they stayed married for 50 years. And they moved to this tiny town. And so whenever I would talk about that, People just seem so like, wait, what? What do you mean your parents got married on a dare? And like, what do you mean? You know, I grew up in a town with a general store and no stoplights and allegedly we had an illiterate chief of police. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. I don't know. That's the rumor. Um... And so I felt like I had this particularly funny family that I was never aware of. But as I grew up and got out into the world, the more people would hear about them, the more they were like, that's a very unusual family. My friend said it's it's like funning with scissors. (laughs) Like the the book should be called (laughs) Funning with Scissors. That's amazing. And so it was a process. Like I'd written various forms of this proposal over the years. And then I feel like in the last few years, I've I got a little braver and I got a little more honest and I got a little, um, I don't know if you guys have this, but like, I feel like I probably my particular family. And I also think as a woman, like I was brought up to sort of keep secrets or keep things nice or like, don't, you know, like it just, you just don't rock the boat. Mm -hmm. And I added more, truth to sort of the fun stories of like, well, there's more going on. And like, my mom was great. My dad was pretty verbally abusive. And like, I also felt like I wanted to show people and particularly, you know, I I wanted to show anybody that if you grew up with somebody that was sort of telling you, you weren't enough, that like, that there is... I, I, at least from that, I could hopefully be an example that, like, you can be okay, even if somebody was sort of not so great. Right. And so, the crazy thing, I found out I was filming season two of Insatiable, and um, not to be maudlin, but like, I was filming season two of Insatiable. I was so excited, love that show, so fun. And the first season, my dad had died right before the first season. So I was, like, happy to be back. Things like, okay, great. So that can be, like, normal this year. I'm, like, you know, time had passed. I felt better. And then, like, the sixth day there, I found, like, m- my mom died. Just She just had a heart attack and died. And then, so I went home, and I found out, like, going on the way to her funeral, I got this email that was, like, I mean, this is, like, a five-minute drive. They were, like, hope you're having a great week. We're so excited. We want to do the book. I saw my book the morning of my mom's funeral on the way to my mom's funeral. I've been trying to sell it for like eight years. Wow. I was like, what? I was like, well, you know, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not really having a great week, but like I'm so <laughs> excited that like, so I, and she was barely in the proposal too. I was like, okay, well, like, just so you know, I don't want to freak you out, but like something does <laughs> happen. Um, so it might be a slightly different book despite. <laughs> so it actually my friend says it became it's not my memoir. It became my memoir. It became her book. Mm-hmm. And I found it just similar to Annie, like the process of writing it, I actually think it became more glass half full and more optimistic. And that it was again creating things it was my almost my own medicine, like the equivalent of your fan fiction of like that in a weird way, I think my heart was so open, and I was so aware. You know, I have either of you lost a parent? Uh,
2: yes, I lost my dad a year and a half ago.
3: I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So well, that's kind
1: of one of the things, and I'm, I'm not putting words in Annie's mouth. She is actually recently did an episode a year ago, uh, kind of similar to you. Her relationship with her father was rough. Well,
3: that I I will say first, and I'm sorry, and I will say what was interesting was I thought. My dad had been almost dying for years. Like, he was a big drinker, and he, he just lived life large for years. And then, then he'd stopped drinking, but he'd done a lot of damage. And then he ate nothing but cake, even though he was diabetic. It was just, like, a full plate of, like—he was—and I thought it would just be a relief when he was gone, because he—and it, and it wasn't. It was—it was interesting having, like, for me, a complicated grief was actually just as painful— As the one that I adored, you know, like, because it's all the stuff that like because it was because it didn't happen and it never did happen. And like, so there was the grief over that. And so I found that writing this, like, I think at first in the proposal it was more about him which is so easy. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's somebody like that. I think so much for my... Sometimes like if I'm doing stand-up, the one person that's not laughing is the one I can focus on rather than everybody else. And they, You know, our brains can kind of sabotage us. And I think when... Like I had so many people tell me memories of her like that were so fresh things that I didn't know about that it actually was like, well, she did all the heavy lifting. Like she was the one that was magic. She was the one that made me believe in myself. Like rather than focus on the one and and I did talk honestly about how you know and by the way it's a really fun book it's a funny fun book but like, <laughs> sure. but, but it is also like I had one parent that just didn't like me. He just never liked me He did, from the get-go, and he never did, never, the entire time, beginning to end. And how healing it was, I mean, there were days where I would show up at the page, you know, I wrote it all in Airbnbs in Atlanta, shooting Insatiable, <laughs> like, and I would just pass out, like, it was too much. But then, like, I just kind of kept trying to open my heart and go, like, like to see what was fun and unique, and I think it's a really joyful tribute with honesty about, you know, a complicated person. And then I think the healing powers of sort of just, I didn't have the luxury of going to bed, like of you just have to keep going. Mm -hmm. Like the, like the, almost the gift of, and I think the world is experiencing that right now. I think that there's a little, like the whole world is having complications right now and just going, okay, well, what are the, like, I don't know if you experienced this, Annie, but the gift of it was also like, it became very clear in my body what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do and who I wanted to be with. And, and I couldn't people-please. Like, as a I was brought mm-hmm. up, particularly as a female, and in my... Ha- like, I would go, oh, I should do this. I should do that. And, like, I couldn't force myself to do that. Did you have that experience? Um... Well,
2: before I answer your question, because I
3: have a lot to say. Say everything.
2: Take it. Take it, Annie. (laughs) I do want to just mention, I was once in a vampire short film called Insatiable. (gasps)
3: Yes, you were. That's a good title. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What did you play?
2: I was the roommate who was moving into this vampire's house and being like, I think there's something up with this lady. I think she might be a vampire. <laughs> Did you get killed? Did you get killed? No, actually, the ending is really funny because I was supposed to get killed. Yeah. But money and time things happen, <laughs> So they effects. changed the ending so that I actually, like, hear this guy scream and one of her rules was never come into my room. And so I get up and I'm like, maybe I should go check it out. And then I say this and it ends so i don't go in there she doesn't kill me okay (laughs)
3: that's good that's good
2: (laughs) thank you i just wanted to put that out there it is available Uh
0: snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers
2: To start planning your trip, visit
1: tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
2: Back to what you said earlier about like podcasting is such a, it can be such a personal medium. And when my dad died, I had just had so many complicated things. And I also thought it was going to be a relief. And I was kind of like, what is this? Why am I not... More relieved because I would I would tell friends like I I will be relieved when he dies. Me too.
3: I'd been praying for it since like sixth yeah. <laughs> grade. I remember being yeah. like, like, if he just died, then everybody would know I was in pain, and then I like it would be it would be uncomplicated. You know, that was my little child brain, and it's like no, It's, right. not, it's not like right. that. It's not a free. There's no free pass. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: And and I remember I I too kept podcasting through that and then we did an episode on forgiveness and then recently we revisited it because through this time when, and listeners have gotten to like hear me go work through this and i did forgive my my dad which is something i never ever ever thought i would do and i didn't try to do and as we always say forgiveness is not you don't owe it to anybody um yep but going through that and having people listen to it and share their their experiences, and even if they haven't lost a parent or if they have, don't have complicated relationships, you can still connect to that kind of stuff. And I, I'm curious what your experience—you've kind of talked about it a little bit—but I feel like, for me as a woman in entertainment, there was—and a lot of this was me doing it, putting this pressure on myself. There is this pressure to be like authentic and open and vulnerable. But sometimes those emotions, like, you haven't worked through that yet. Yeah. And, like, it feels yeah. kind of dangerous or something. Like, like you're doing it because you think, oh, this will be good content. And, you know, you're not thinking about yourself and what's good for you. Yeah. So, I don't know if you have any experience with that.
3: It was almost as if I had to be like, it's fine. I'm fine. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to make my coworkers uncomfortable. And so I felt like I had to just... Because I didn't really know them, you know? And so there was something about having to... And and I, you know, look, people say crazy things too. I mean, I remember when my mom died, there right. was a person at work who asked how I was doing. I was like, I'm okay. They're like, just okay? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And they're like, what's wrong? And I said, well, my mom died two weeks ago. And the person said, well, it's been two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> this person is forever the it's been two weeks amongst all my friends and I that's information so like although the rest of my co-workers you know a lot a lot of them it's interesting who shows up and who's like who's not scared of it like oh, no. I know you know Debbie Ryan who was the lead on the show she she was so wonderful and she actually ended up writing the foreword for my book and like You just, you know, here's this young lady who was, like, a Disney star. Like, who would have ever thought, like, this was the person that I would go get tacos with. And we would go, like, get scooters and ride through the park. And we'd go, you know, like, it was, um, you just never know. And then I do, I do know, you know, in this Instagram world where you're supposed to or you think you're, I mean, you know, in your brain, you can go, oh, am I am I supposed to put my bleeding heart on the page? Right. There's the New England side of me that was like, zip your lip, don't tell anybody. It's like always this dance of, you know, because for a while you are not okay. And, and it is like a fine line of trying to be authentic about that.
1: Right, right. Well,
3: also like you're basically like running a marathon and like stitching yourself up midstream <laughs> and trying to like kind of tell tell people, you know, like, hey, there's a lady injured in this lane. And also like, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't mind the stitches in the blood. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. So it's <laughs> so, like you don't want to like it was a fine line of being authentic and then also not wanting to terrify people like.
2: Yeah. And I, I feel like for me, And we've, Samantha and I have talked about this at length. We just did an episode called Dead Inside. As I felt like I wasn't sad enough. Like on the other side of that, people were like, oh, you're not, you're not sad enough. And the day after, my dad died. I went to the surprise birthday party because I was the like person who was supposed to spring the surprise. And right. everyone was like, why the hell are you here? And I, yeah. and I still feel guilt about that. I feel weird about it. But I was kind of almost in a numb... You
3: leave your... Bu- just, I mean, there's no shoulds, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. trust me. I think I did... It's like, well, that's on my calendar. I mean, <laughs> like, it takes a minute. <laughs> like, that's what I'm going to do. I, the day after my mom died... I was stuck in Atlanta. There was like an ice storm. I couldn't get to Rhode Island. So I was like, well, I have tickets for a soccer game. I'm going to go to this. I went <laughs> to the soccer game. And then I bumped into this friend of mine who's like an executive at Adult Swim. She was there. She's like, how are you? I'm like, uh, not good. Like my mom died <laughs> yesterday. And you could see on her face like, why are you at this soccer game? <laughs> but I was like, I didn't know what else to do. Like, you you know, the first couple weeks, you're just Crazy. You're just like, it's crazy. Like, well, I had the tickets, so I bought them. I'm going to the soccer game. I'm going to the soccer
1: game. Like, yeah, I think a lot of the things, and just again, I haven't lost a parrot. My whole view is completely different, uh, working on the outside. But I know Annie had told me, and I'm guessing, as you as a comedian in general, this level of being seen as not only the dutiful daughter, so therefore you have to handle things and be the responsible one. But also, secondly, like it's almost a level of expectation of entertainment. Like, yeah, you're grieving, but are you going to entertain us? And Annie, you have that whole story of being paid $20 because you entertained your niece or nephew, or not niece or nephew, but a cousin, a younger (laughs) cousin, during the funeral or during the, like, sitting there (laughs) because you were able to keep this kid entertained. And they were like, oh, we're so impressed. But there's a level of expectation, especially if you're an entertainer, especially Annie's an entertainer. She is in this world as well. Being thought of as that, you are an entertainer, so why aren't you using your grief to entertain us? What is that (laughs) kind of pressure? I can't imagine what that (laughs) even looks like.
3: I mean, I see that I am my own in so many areas, Whether my life is on fire or not, even like the best of times, I am so my own worst taskmaster. And I am so often the one who pushes myself too hard. I am the one who will go, yeah, I should be fine. I I could do that. I'll sign up for that. Uh, I'm going to do that. Like, I remember doing stand-up in Atlanta shortly after my dad died. I went and was like, I'm going to do stand-up again. So I did a couple shows at the Laughing Skull that went well. And then I had was one horrible night where like everyone from the cast came to see it. Alyssa Milano was there like with her (laughs) husband, like ran CAA, her parents, the showrunner from Instagram. It was just not my night. It just was not (laughs) a good night. And it was like, Uh and I realized too soon, like I realized I can't do stand up right now because it's too vulnerable. I can't, I don't have a bomb in me. However, That doesn't mean the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. Like, okay, what can I do? I can do my podcast. The podcast is safe. I handpick who's on. We're talking about The Bachelor. It's more authentic. I can be real about what's happening. I think, you know, it's just picking and choosing. It's like, I feel like all of life so much is an experiment of like, okay, I tried it. It could have, you know, you go and then you know. It could have been great not for me right now, like, (laughs) (laughs) and, and, but yeah, I think particularly in work situations, when people are used to you being funny, I think my go-to is often, you know, my therapist and I remember, because I got, I actually got this really nice lady, I, I hadn't been in therapy in years, and then when my mom died, season two, I was like, well, I can't do this again. Like, I'm like the girl who cried wolf. Like, this just happened. Like, so I was like, yeah. all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, so I found this b- wonderful lady in Decatur, who I actually still go to via Zoom. I just loved her. <laughs> but she was saying how, I mean, and I think this is me as an entertainer, but also just me as a lady raised in my house, which is the instinct is to go the equivalent of like, learning how to not go, the house burned down, and then trying not to say, don't worry, everyone's fine. Like trying to comfort mm-hmm. the person to like take the blow off of my own bad news because people don't know what to do with it. Of right. just letting it go. Sometimes not everyone's fine. Like just going the house burned down. Like mm-hmm. my instinct is to care. F- I don't want to freak anybody out with bad news. Learning how to just zip it and not do the second thing of like, "I'm. don't worry, it's fine. I'm fine. It's like, are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Annie, what did you find with that?
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I also had a series of kind of tragedies in a row and I felt I had a similar like, people aren't even going to believe this is real anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, this, yes. This is ridiculous. And I did and still do uh, struggle with that very thing of comforting other people, like worrying more about other people first. And I, I do have this reputation, which I built. Um, oh, sure. Being a fun, like <laughs> easygoing, I'm going to make your day better, uh, like the party, the the life of the party, and I. it's such a big part of my identity and a part of that is being a woman and gr- we also, both Samantha and I come from small towns, not as small as yours, but well, small. I don't know, I think um, mine's pretty small in comparison to... <laughs>
3: how big? How many people are your town?
2: You
1: and I may be in the running to see whose town is smaller.
3: Yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah, yeah.
1: Small, L.J. Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, you're asking me questions I don't know anymore. <laughs> 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 but it definitely was. We had one stoplight. Yes, it got split into two sections for some weird reason. We don't know why. As well as we had the one small Walmart, and it wasn't until wow. two thousand until I left. So I think that two thousand five that they got more than two grocery stores.
3: I mean. I think mine's smaller. I, we have what? We have no stoplights, <laughs> no grocery stores, oh, okay. no chains. We have one general okay. we only have a general store.:
1: Okay. And then yeah we had a, <laughs> one weird store that we went to, and then the bigger one came later on in my teenage years.:
3: We have a coffee <laughs> shop that's a barn and an apple orchard and um, a diner. So we didn't have a coffee shop. <laughs> okay. Beat that. I'm just playing.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I feel
1: this like this is, is turning competition. No, no. Yeah, no. I think ours was more spread out. Yeah. So we were definitely, uh, the land was large, but the town was teeny tiny. Yep, I get that. And it still is. <laughs> it still is. But yeah, we've grown since then. I do think yeah. growing
3: up in a small town makes you like, um, the gift of a small town to me is like, my mom wanted to move there from Rhode Island so that we could learn how to entertain ourselves and that we weren't overly programmed (laughs) my brother and I and I think it worked like learning how to sort of daydream, like that noodle time, making houses, rocket ships out of boxes and climbing trees and that sort of magical noodle time. And then I loved, I mean, television really raised me and just the fun (laughs) and the fantasy of daydreaming of one day when I'd be old enough to get out of there. (laughs) I think it made me ambitious. Like, like, well, I gotta get out of here. I mean, even though it's like the prettiest place on earth, I'm like, I gotta go. Got to go. Right.
1: Literally, (laughs) when I was there, I could not stand hiking, doing any of that because I live in a mountain town, so I'm at the foothills of App- Appalachian Mountains. And I didn't do any of those th- things, didn't camp. As I leave and come into the city, I put that in quotes, now I'm actually going back to my hometown to stay in the cabins, to yes. go camping and to do the hiking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a whole different experience. I
3: get that. I get that.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. I, I feel
2: like, uh, related to what we were saying earlier though, the small town for me and and being a woman raised in kind of this like Southern small town was I did like that added the pressure to be nice and not rock the boat, as you say, and uh, not bother people with your less than super happy emotions. (laughs) But speaking of like coming from a small town and leaving it, you started in this industry really young without much support. How did you go about that? How did you learn to advocate for yourself, especially as a woman in this industry that is changing yeah. but has traditionally, like, most in industries in entertainment uh, not been the best. I course. mean,
3: it's, I think, if I really look back on, I have so much compassion now. I'm like, oh, man, like, that was gnarly. Some of that stuff was gnarly. Like, I think at first you learn how to shapeshift, you know, you learn how to kind of like, ha, ha, ha like, deflect and like, I started in Chicago when I was 19. I started doing improv there, and which was a, a magical, amazing time. And and the people there were like it was a, huge comedy star people, but but they were pretty much all men, you know. And I'd also never been hit on more in my life. I'd never, I'd never had my gender like, such an issue. I'd never heard the phrase women aren't funny before. I, but all of that was news to me. And I... Honestly, in the beginning, a lot of my way of dealing was just sort of cutting and running. It was sort of like I knew I wasn't going to thrive there. And I'd written a lot of plays. Like, I'd already written and directed plays in high school and stuff like that. and And... Thankfully, my mom always was like, you can do anything you put your mind to. I'd already had the experience of like doing well with my own voice. And I just thought I'm not going to thrive in this environment. So I left Chicago. But it makes me sad. Like like, looking back now, it makes me sad to think there was another young... So I was 19. There was also a 19-year-old guy that was there like who did great. And what would it have been like... To just be treated as sort of like the young whiz kid rather than somebody like that was to be hit on or something. I don't know. And mm-hmm. then, you know, even just I'm having like weird flashes of things. I just watched... Have you guys watched I Hate Susie? It's a British show. It's really good. But, you know, I had I had flashes of a, a few of my first like TV jobs where one of them I was on this improv show and they brought in this guy to who was this sort of big, he was big in the improv world. And we had to do like two weeks of training, the whole cast. And every scene that I was, everybody else just got normal scenes. And every scene that I was in was like, okay, Arden's a prostitute and she comes in. Or Arden walks mm-hmm. in and her clothes fall off. Like every single scene. And, you know, I grew up, I looked like a boy till I was fifteen. I was sort of like Barb from Stranger Things. I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> it was very confusing to me. I I don't know. Like, it, it's not my operating system is one of Barb from Stranger Things. <laughs> like, this is here's what, like this is this <laughs> is me. Eight. You know what I mean? I'm like, right. and then like, but right. even if it wasn't, even if I was like. Bridget Bardo, like, like, it just felt like I just wanted to do improv, you know? Right. And then when I got cast on Mad TV, like, I auditioned with all these quirky characters, and then they, like, dyed my hair blonde, I was a redhead, and I remember, like, I knew Amy Poehler, who was always brilliant and fantastic. And I remember one week, like, we were both, she was on SNL and I was on Mad TV, and I think she was with, like, Hillary Clinton, and it was my very first episode, and they made me do a sketch with the wonderful, wonderful Fred Willard, who I adored, but, like, so I was excited to work with him, but I had to be standing in my underwear holding a Duraflame log for no reason. There was no reason for me to be in my underwear. And I remember somebody jokingly saying, welcome to Mad TV, here's your underwear, you know, and it was just like, I don't know, just how did I, you know, just, I remember making up my mind because I remember seeing some of the other women being really understandably upset about, like, understandably, and I, I remember just being like, okay, well, I'm just going to worry about whether or not I'm funny. I'm not trying to be a bikini model. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be a Sports Illustrated Center flag. So I'm just going to trust that I look fine. And I'm just going to worry about if I'm funny. But I look back and I, w- like, what it would it have been like to be like one of the guys and to be able to just pitch my sketches. You know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I I think it's, that was the deal at the time. You know, that was just how it was. And I don't think there was room to not like, to, I don't know if there would have been a job for me to not go along with right. it. You know? Right.
1: Yeah. I think we've talked about that a lot. We've talked about the fact that women have had to do what they had to do. Yeah to pull the sh- themselves up. I mean, that was kind of one of the conversations about Kamala Harris and her her not-so-great record yep. within California and right. her time as being a prosecutor and the uh, DA. And the whole level of my conversation is, I, I've been working in this system with uh, when it comes to courts and, and this whole idea of criminalization. And we've come a long way in understanding this is a really bad system. Yes. Like th- That's just the overall arcing. But the fact of the matter is, you do what you've got to do in a certain level hopefully in a certain level where in order to make it beyond that so because you're talking about something like obviously this is not your sketch this is not something you want to do is sit in half naked with a log that has nothing to do with with some the with sketch. someone that i
3: admire and he right. and he looked ashamed like ta- even like he didn't look like he wanted to do it he was such <laughs> a sweet gentle like he looked embarrassed yeah. for me you know like right. this wasn't his pitch right But that's the thing. It's
1: like, that's that's what we're like talking about is there's these standards. And for the longest time, again, yourself and many others, it's like, okay, we just have to do this and deal with it. You know, we talk about uh, Sharon Stone talking about being sexually harassed constantly and laughing when that was asked the question, did you go through this? It's just like, I've been in this industry. Yeah, that's a stupid question. Like, (laughs) in general, but then that's, that's kind of like, has it changed much? In that industry, have you seen that's being changed? I think
3: literally, very recently. Yeah, very recently. Yeah. Like, which is so sad. I think I wrote a whole article about it on Refinery Twenty right. Nine. Like after after Me Too happened, I w- right. was very badly harassed at a comedy show, wow. like at wow. an alternative comedy show. You know, like right. I I think now. Whether it's because they have to, I think now, I think people have been put on notice. Like, I I do think it's changing. I do think also there's more women in charge now. It's starting to be. Mm-hmm. I think more women are selling shows now, you know. But it's, I would say it's just now. When I think about what I used to like laugh and go along with and what I was Mm -hmm. sort of okay, like you're part of like what I I really respect the first women that were like, no, you know, like there's a chapter in my book about getting sent to a director's hotel room and having him trying to take my clothes off and like. You know, and and I just sort of nervously was like, ha ha, ha like and think I got out of there, like nothing happened, right. but but I didn't even know that it would have been okay to go to HR and I don't think anything right. would have happened. I'm sure I would have just right. been probably I mean, there was a few times I went to HR about certain things, and they were like, they right. just wanted like, okay, well, we'll just go get you an apology. <laughs> you know, like,
1: right. And
3: there was actually something I will say on Insatiable. There was something that was said that was really creepy, and and it's funny to me because I've had so many worse things said, but it was like when right. I was working with Alyssa Milano, who just sort of ignited, you know, you know, like this. It was right after the. Me Too movement started. This Mm -hmm. thing was said to me and... And of all the things that have been said, it was really not that bad, and compared to things over the years, you know. But it just was like I was done, you know. And like right. people were talking about it, and I always have delayed reactions. I kept thinking about it a couple of days later. I'm always so shocked, right. When people, right. I'm, so I'm like, you know, Haha, okay, like you know. And then right. I kept thinking about it, and I remember even running it by a couple of guy friends and going, "Is this weird?" Like they were yes. like, "Yeah, that's weird." And right. and then I called one of the producers. I didn't know what to do. I called one of the producers like, hey, I don't want to be a bother, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know if this is weird. And she was like, yeah, that's weird. And I remember they (laughs) immediately called HR and it was still like the people pleaser in me was so ingrained. I was so brought up to be a people pleaser that... They called me and they wanted to like they treated it they took it really seriously. They were really nice. They wanted to like and I remember going, "No, no, no, no. You know what? He probably didn't mean it. I'll call mm. him." And they're like, "No, no. Let this is our job." <laughs>
1: like right.
3: And like this is what we do. I'm like, "I know." Like I and then actually letting somebody face the consequences of something that I didn't, I felt so uncomfortable saying that I wasn't comfortable. Like it was so hard for me to Mm -hmm. set a boundary. And in my mind, I, I was shocked at how hard it was for me to go, okay, let me, I didn't do this. Let me let somebody deal with the consequences of what I didn't ask for. I was just at work. It was inappropriate. I had a witness who was like, ew, you know, just, just say the facts and just let, and they let that person yeah. go. Right. There's so much to
1: that. Like, just even you explaining again, say, but it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But the fact that we have to put that caveat yes. on ourselves, and it is, it's so ingrained in us yes. that we're going to be told, calm down. Yeah. You know, like something like calm the f- down, it's not that big of a deal in comparison to. And that's kind of one of the things that gets us in trouble with ourselves, with like that ingrained mind of like, but it wasn't as bad as so-and-so. Yep. Like this comparison yes. of like how awful it has to be to reach it. But this is also something that's been taught to us and something that has been used against us Way too much, and I say us as in general women, yes. uh, people who are marginalized. Because yes. I, I honestly, like, I, I will tell you, when we first talked about uh, doing the interview with you? The memories I have of Mad TV are all the Asian jokes, and I right. remember Bobby Lee and that specific actress coming in with the Asian jokes, and me being okay with it because right. I'm actually adopted. So th- uh, being the first one to make that joke meant. Everybody was comfortable. I have made all the racist people comfortable right. with me acknowledging I'm a not minority. <laughs> we're going to joke. Right. But this is that ingrained level of we have to protect the others. Yes. Because if we're uncomfortable, how dare you make other people feel uncomfortable? Yes. Right. That you're up
3: to, or people are like, "Oh, I was just joking," and it's like, right. I have a pretty good sense of humor. Like, <laughs> I I actually yeah. can roll with a
1: lot.
3: Right. I can roll with a lot. Like, if you're I'm
1: like, a comedian, I grew
3: up with guys. I've <laughs> I grew up. I came up through the '90s in the comedy. Like, right. I can hang with a lot. Right. If I'm uncomfortable, you, you were gross. Like, you were really right. gross. <laughs>
1: And that's the thing. But that's the other part to that is that more oftentimes, women are going to be hushed and shut down and dismissed. Exactly like, as you said, you left Chicago. What would have happened if you were like, I can't do this at all? Yeah. That would have been such an unfortunate for us as fans of what you do. How awful would that be if you didn't exist because you got shut down so quickly on, you know?
3: I mean, I think about... My dream has always been... I always wanted to create my own show. I always wanted to be like a Phoebe Waller Bridge or like Issa Rae or yeah, like somebody that yeah. makes. And like when I, when I think about, I actually just I wrote an essay about this that's going to be in an anthology next year about like how I'd written plays. I was a member of the Writers Guild. I had written sketches on Mad TV, and I remember I sold my first pitch. And my own lit agent was like, well, Arden, who's going to write it? I'm like, I'm going to write it. It's like, Arden, we need a writer. And then they like (laughs) paired me up with a man immediately. Just like when, I don't know, like when I think, I feel like it's so hopeful. Like, you know, young women today, I feel a lot of them are raised more with knowing how to, it appears to me it seems like people mm-hmm. are raised more with knowing their worth and knowing how to set a boundary and like it's so hopeful and inspiring and when i wrote that refinery 29 article a lot of people were really supportive but then a lot, you know some people were like what are you saying you know it's like and, it, and that also i think contributed i do think a lot of it was grief but it didn't really make make me want to do much more stand up and i and i know that 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 is like letting that bad vibe win. Maybe it would have been different if I wasn't grieving and I had more skin on me. (laughs) I think that just certainly didn't help. But yeah, it does start to wear on you sometimes.
1: And there's a difference between what people would be like, I just quit versus taking care of yourself. Like There's an absolute difference in finding your boundaries and acknowledging these are your boundaries. And Also, as much as you loved it, you are. You are freaking like everywhere, like with your podcast, (laughs) with your book, with all of these things. It's not like you've given back or stopped your voice. It's just a different avenue. When you
3: find the things that feel safe, I think I'm also less interested in putting myself in situations right now that like, it's like, okay, I love to create. I like to make people laugh. I like to like, what's a way that feels comfortable and safe and the most of service and playful versus... I don't know. Like it takes a certain uh, like my skin is just not that thick right now, you know. So what's like what's a fun safe way for me to play and take risks and still do funny things in a way, you know? I think the pandemic is just it's it's vulnerable. Everybody's everybody's a little more gentle. I feel like everybody's circle of pals is a little bit like just best of right now, you know. Like
1: (laughs) I'm also wondering if that's because we are now connected with more people, so we are adamantly aware when something is hurting someone else's feelings and and that's not a bad thing necessarily to be aware and be more empathetic yes. to realizing I didn't mean to be oh you know exclusionary but I am and I am so sorry like there there are those levels of just realizing there's faces yes. to these conversations you may be having yes
3: yes
1: Before we do close out, as we're I, this, I love this conversation. I wish we could have a longer conversation, and hopefully, we can return and you will come back to our show. I would love to, I, maybe, unless you want Annie to be on your show, talk about her fan fiction on your show rather. Right?
2: <laughs> oh, you are always throwing my <laughs> fan fiction and out What's your people. fan fiction about? Oh uh, well, I've actually written two because one of them was so sad that I was like, I need a different one, and it's still sad, but not as sad. Um, it is a original trilogy Star Wars fan fiction that is the saddest thing I've ever <laughs> written in that saying something. You should. <laughs> I won't publish it because I think it could kill a person. You should be
3: on Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byers <laughs> <laughs> newcomers thing about where they watch everything of Star Wars. They'd never seen one, and they watch everything that's ev- and every spinoff, and then now they're doing Lord <sighs> of the Rings.
1: Uh, so oh. Annie made me do that. I had never seen anything Star Wars until March of this. Last year, and every like no, I don't think it's May <laughs> of last year. And I was like, okay. And I have now watched almost every single thing, and I'm still not as interested as she is she, in this. But she gives me every tidbit that I need to know about neither, it. But, neither are oh, Lauren yes. and
3: Nicole.
1: <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Why is and so I make up my own names yes. and dialogue to all of this because it's just so uh, absurd to me in some of the ways. I see the love. I see the and we've seen by the way. I've seen almost three different versions of star wars like the disney plus version original, the original trilogy, version the and then there's the yep. edited other version i have seen them you're a good friend mm-hmm. I have, can yes. i just
3: say <sighs> thank you she how is. long have you guys been <laughs> friends
1: well we have a date because there was a day that we met i actually worked at a brewery in atlanta and she visited me there and that's where our friendship formed
3: oh
1: but we became friends through the old co-host who is now with unladylike caroline okay And so we became friends that way. And then we got together because I'm a social worker. And we decided we wanted to do a whole hashtag Me Too segment. Yes. And that just kind of cemented our friendship. I
3: love that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: so I think it was about three years ago that we became close. I love that. Yeah, we we got really into that. But speaking of friendship... Because you have a lot of really great friendships with other female comedians. It's beautiful to see. I love... Even you talk about Nicole Byers and Lauren. And and like, I know you're really good friends with Jenny Kirkman and all of that. And they are big, big wigs. I always talk about that group of women who are all comedians that kind of just float around. Yeah. And and like circulate with each other the show. And I love that. I love what it is, the camaraderie, like all of that. What would be some advice that you would give to young female comedians trying to come into this kind of business?
3: I mean... Exactly what you just said. And so Lisa Delarios is a is a lady that I came up with. And we were talking about and Erin Foley, who also is a brilliant stand up and her new album, Deep Dive, is so good. Okay. But we were saying how and I think it's probably changed, but how a lot of the guys back in the day, they they would really raise each other up as a team. Like they like and so I would say find your people create your, like, create your own shows, even if it's virtual right now. So, like, the equivalent of host a show so you can have people on, do it with one of your pals, you know, like, I think creating your own show really gives you practice, like, and also enables you to have your own brand of what what you do. So, I used to host a show in... Brooklyn called the party machine with my friend Lisa, and it was very sort of glass half full, optimistic. We pretended we were party planners, and each one was a theme, and then we would just have people come on and do stand up. But I think pair up with each other in a way that you know maybe meet up, or for now you can't, but like help (laughs) each other with with each other. Like no man's and or no ladies in island, you know. So like. It's okay to ask your friend to be like, okay, I'm working on this. Like, can you help me with this punchline? You know, that there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. Even if you just want to be a stand-up, improv classes for anybody, even if you're not a performer. I think it helps you listen and respond. A great improviser only does 100% of 50% that like, you're not actually a good improviser if you go in with the set thing and you're trying to control it that like, I think it's a good thing in life that you get to learn how to be a good teammate if you can be open and responding to the last thing that was said to you that you don't need to. It's like, even though it's scary, but to release control of the outcome. And I know, I know UCB is, I don't know if they're still open, but they're great. The Groundlings are great. Um, The Pit is great. I'm sure there's a lot of virtual things right now, Second City. And the the good news now, the world, just start making stuff. Make videos. Put it up. Just like I would say that, as you guys know with podcasting, like if you can do a consistent schedule, if you're like, okay, every Thursday at noon, I'm going to drop something, like just to give yourself that structure, but that I think that helps build a fan base of like if you know you have a consistent drop and again, look at like the Lonely Island guys where like if you team up with people that you can like find your people, team up and just start making things. We're interviewing Kate McCucci and Ricky Lindholm tomorrow on our Lady of the Road podcast about collaborating and just, you know, I've known Kate and Rick, they're Garfunkel and Oates and I've known them a long time and but looking just at the output, like their work ethic, you know, the amount of videos that are up there, they like they just wrote song after song and made great video after great video. Like they, they had the talent, but they also put in the hours. So just keep, like, if you want to do it, like, put in the hours. I would say that ten thousand hours is a real thing. Yes, yes, it is. It is. <laughs> I remember when we all started. We started. I remember Lisa and I started with Zach Galifianakis, and I remember one night we were all like at a late night show at Stand Up New York, and like. And we were all terrible, you know, like, but he just did it everywhere. He did it at coffee shops. He did it in laundromats. He just kept doing, like, nobody starts out great. Like, just keep doing it. If you want to do it, just put in the hours. Dust yourself off if you have a bad one. Keep going. Record your sets. Listen back to where people want to laugh and you're not letting them laugh. Slow down. Right. (laughs) And buddy system. Get a safe pal to, like, help you with your, craft your jokes. Comedy. It's all about timing. Yeah. True story. Old expressions and timing. True story. True story. <laughs> True story, my friend.
2: I only have half of it. It's the expressions, not
1: the
3: timing.
0: Yes. yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's excellent advice. And this has been such a wonderful conversation, Arden. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. It's been a delight. Where can the listeners find you?
3: Well, I um, you can get my book, Little Miss Little Compton, anywhere books are sold. Independent bookstores, you can order it from. You can order it from the big boys if you like. There's an audio version. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Art and Marine, M Y R I N. And my podcast, Will You Accept This Rose, drops every Wednesday on iHeartRadio and then Lady of the Road with the Bridgerton executive producer, Julianne Robinson. Lady of the Road will be out later this year with it's a limited edition. There'll be like 15 episodes for the season, and there's so many great women that we talk to of all different kinds of all kinds of bad so I'm very excited about that Yes, Very excited. we are too. And the listeners, go check
2: Arden out. And thank you again for, for being here. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I was so excited to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. It's been wonderful. Um, and listeners, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You or on Twitter at Mom Stuff podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines.